The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning. This is Pastor Darren Smith here at Tower View Baptist Church, and we are gathered here today, and we're grateful for you today as we come to study God's Word here on this Lord's Day. And uh, if you're watching this for the first time, we especially want to welcome you. It's good to have you with us. We're so grateful that in God's good grace that you could join us this morning. Our website is towerviewkc.com, towerviewkc.com. We are in the Northland of Kansas City, just up the road from the World of Fun Entertainment area. This morning, we're going to continue on to our second part of our study of the, the election, our Excuse me, God, the election, and us. God, the election, and us. And last week we said that it's it's appropriate at times to come through and to have studies that are, if you will, right out of the pages of the newspaper. The newspaper or the news, whatever, does not drive what we preach, but it is appropriate at times, pastorally and even as a church, to look at things that are current events, that are relevant, or whatever you want to call it, because these are things that are affecting all of us. And so as we go through this study, and we plan to do this through the Sunday preceding um, the election, so, so through Sunday the 11th, or excuse me, November 1st, we will do all of these studies, and they will be different. They'll be topical studies. They're not all word for word or verse by verse, but they will be the main point of the text, and they will have what God has told us about what we are to do, how we are to pre- prepare, and how we are to be ready to handle ourselves in seasons such as this. Well, I invite your attention then to Daniel chapter 5. The Daniel chapter 5, as we look at God, the election, and us, part 2. God, the election, and us, Part two. You know, this is a very famous uh, story here in Daniel chapter five. It is what you might call the handwriting on the wall. And as we go through this time, this is a story that many of us know very well. It's about King Belshazzar. It's about his uh, last night, even, as we will see. But the handwriting on the wall, we use that phrase a lot. And throughout the centuries, that handwriting on the wall has been something that we have seen in the lives of many people. You know, one of the classic movies is The Godfather, the first and second. And and in Godfather 2, there's a scene where the, where the Godfather, uh, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino in one of his famous roles, is in Cuba sealing a deal with the Cuban governments that will result in massive wealth for his family back in the States. But Michael has some idea of rebel activity that's caused him concern. But he's told not to worry because he's told that the Cuban government has everything under control. And then suddenly at a very large gala, the Godfather II portrays this uh, breaking in by the Cuban government because the rebels will soon have control and they're trying to usher all these famous people out of Cuba before the rebels take over. Pride, arrogance, and a sense of indestructibility caused in that movie, fictitious as it is, what we would say they ignored the handwriting on the wall. So in Daniel 5, there's another instance of handwriting on the wall, but this could not be ignored about what was about to happen. Because what King Belshazzar sees as we look at the second study of God, the election of us, is literally handwriting on the wall. 
And the message that God wrote would soon become clear and its promise would become evident because Belshazzar was going to be called to the carpet on that night before God. And any time, in any way God speaks, we should listen very carefully. And so in the flow of the book of Daniel, Daniel 5 kind of comes out of nowhere. There's no connection to chapter 4 where we are told that in verse 37 that the king of heaven and all his works are right and just and, and, and all his ways are good. And so we deal with King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 1 to 4. And suddenly here in Daniel 5, we meet King Belshazzar. So what is this all about? Well, let me just give you some history here. Nebuchadnezzar died in about 562 BC after serving for 43 years. And Nebuchadnezzar's son followed his father on the throne. But he was assassinated by his brother-in-law, who, who reigned for about four years. And then that guy was liquidated within a month. And it seems through all this, Belshazzar, who's in Daniel 5, just raises up out of nowhere. And so you have to understand that God has raised this ruler, Belshazzar, Daniel 5, second verse or second installment of our study, for a time like this. And Belshazzar is now the de facto king, and he's now ready to serve. But friends, as we saw last week, as we studied through some of the book of Daniel and other places, we saw that God raises rulers, that God controls rulers, and thirdly, that God uses rulers. And today we're going to continue on that study because we want to see how Daniel, a faithful man of God, responds under a pagan king as God literally writes on the wall and tells that king his future. And that is our big idea today along that line, just that God alone is sovereign. He rules the rulers of every nation. He judges its judges, and history is his story. And so God is sovereignly in control here. He's moving Babylon forward as he moves history forward. Yet Daniel, a faithful man, is called to serve under a wicked pagan king. And I believe what Daniel experiences and what, how he responds is how we too should be responding in a time like this in hashtag 2020, especially in America as we face another election. Let me be absolutely clear. This message is not intended to endorse a candidate, is not intended to endorse a certain policy. It is not to be horizontal, but it is to look vertical above. We are not to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good to steal a phrase from my family. But at the same time, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. And in these days... As Daniel was in King Belshazzar's day, we too need to be reminded about who God is. God is sovereign. He rules the rulers of every nation. He judges its judges, and history is his story. So we are going to continue our study of what this means for us and what it means for our faith. We looked at last week again that God raises rulers, number one. God uses rulers, number two, and God controls rulers, number three. And now number four, as we get into Daniel chapter five, God examines rulers. God examines rulers. We won't have time to read all this text. There's quite a few verses in here, but we will hit the highlights. But I want you to see this in verses one to four. I want you to see this. Is that King Belshazzar, it says in verse one, made a great feast. For a thousand of his lords, and drank wine in front of a thousand. 
And Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple and brought that, that, the, the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, that they might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple and the house of God in Jerusalem and the kings and lords and wives and concubines drank from them. And they drank wine and praised the God of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Look, there's a lot of bad ways to get on God's bad side, but stealing the things that God set apart for his purposes and using them for ungodly purposes is probably near top of that list. And the last Babylon king, Belshazzar here, decided to throw a big party even as his kingdom is literally about to fall. This is this is like an army surrounding Washington, D.C., and all the big wigs of Washington, instead of trying to fight that army, just throw a party anyway. And to, it's not even really a party. It's, it's for thousands of his lords. And he set the example of drunkenness Belshazzar did that night, sensuality, and revelry on a night that should be a faithful night. They're basically living it up for eat or drink before tomorrow they will die. What a fool Belshazzar is here. But his foolishness did not stop there. He, he decided to add blasphemy, mockery, idolatry, and sexual sensuality to the list in Daniel chapter 5. And while he is drinking and getting drunk, he commanded that those vessels that, that were set apart by the Lord for the Lord's purposes to be used in a mockery way. And so Belshazzar is not doing well. And as we look at this point number four, continuing on from last week, God is examining the rulers. And the spiritual and theological significance of this cannot be overstated. This is an act intended to mock the God of, uh, of Daniel, the God of the universe, and to celebrate the gods of Babylon as being superior. You know, we do that in America all the time. We have coins, and, I, and I'm a coinless guy most times, but we have money that's printed in God we trust. Yet our nation, yet our people, even our church folks live in opposite of that almost every day. And so it is here. Appearing in public and drinking with his guests was not a protocol for the Babylonian king. But he wanted to live it up one more time. And God examined his actions. God knew his actions. God was aware of his actions so much that Belshazzar was going to be weighed in the balances. And we'll find later he was found wanting. And his royal guests, he, he was a polygamist, and his concubines, basically his human sex toys, all joined in the raunchiness of that evening. I, I'm using specific words here because you need to understand the gravity of the situation. Perhaps Belshazzar was trying to win the, the favor of the false gods, we don't know. But Proverbs 6 puts it this way about his behavior, and everyone like him. It says in Proverbs 6, 12 through 15, it says, A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with his speech, crooked speech. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He points his finger with perverted desires, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Friends, there is the truth. That even rulers that we are called to serve under, even rulers that God raises, God uses, God controls, God is examining them. Sometimes, just like the psalmist, we cry out to God, God, why is this wicked person getting away with this? God, why is this politician having this go on? Why don't you just step in, God? And Christian, you need to be reminded, just as Belshazzar here in verses 1 to 4 was living it up, in front of God and His holiness, and especially those things that He had set apart 
heart for his service, God knew what Belshazzar was doing. In Isaiah 47, 10 and 11, it says this. It says, you felt secure in your wickedness and you said in your heart, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge lead you astray, God says. But you said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. Friend, there is no wall so high, no human accomplishment so great, no powerful person so powerful that is secure against the judgment of God. Belshazzar is about to learn this to be true, and Christian, you should take stock of that. No matter who, what person God puts in our midst, whether they're state, they're local, they're, they're, they're municipal, they're, they're federal, God will see his people through. Christian, don't forget, Christians have served under some nasty kings before and still come out okay. Belshazzar is lurking in all of our hearts. We all want to live it up before we, we die in this life, but we all need God to deliver us from it. And Belshazzar is being examined by God. God examines rulers, and that should be a comfort to us Christians, because nothing that goes by in this life will not be accounted for on the last day of judgment. And we might not see the results yet, but I guarantee you God will bring it to pass. So from last week, God, God raises, God uses, God controls rulers. Daniel 5, 1 to 4, he examines rulers. But now notice Daniel 5, 5 through 9, point number 5 here. God confronts rulers. God confronts rulers. You see there in verse 5. It says, immediately, so as they're drinking the wine, they're praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It says in verse 5, immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Whoa, I don't know about you, but if I'm seeing that happen live and in person, that's going to freak me out. That's going to scare me. That probably will scare you too. But this is what it says. And it wrote on the plaster of the wall, the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. You can picture this in your mind. Verse 6, then the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. Verse 7, the king called the loudly to bring in the enchanters and the astrologers. And the king declared to them, I'm going to sum this up. Basically, whoever interprets this, I'll give a third of the kingdom. Which is funny, because he's about to lose his kingdom. But then... Verse 8, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed again, and his lords were perplexed. Friends, we need to remember what Sinclair Ferguson said. He said this, a great Presbyterian brother preacher. He said, Belshazzar is perhaps the supreme Old Testament parallel to the rich fool in Jesus' parable. Look, he'd already given up all these different things. He'd already done all this, this stuff. But suddenly, out of the instance, God writes on the wall. And everything about that night of pleasure changes for Belshazzar. I'm sure Belshazzar would, would set the record for the shortest time it's ever taken to be drunk to sober up. He didn't need coffee. He didn't need some stimulant. He just, all of a sudden, he just woke up. Because God confronts rulers. Christian, you need, to be remember, you need to remember that. Yes, there is a place where God may not right every wrong until the day of judgment when Christ returns. But if God calls you to live under a regime, whether they call themselves conservative or liberal or moderate or whatever, God will confront rulers on his behalf, on your behalf, for his glory. And that's exactly what's happening to Belshazzar here. Suddenly, Belshazzar is yanked into the reality and the seriousness of the moment. And what yanked him in that moment were those fingers on the walls. 
Verse 6 says four things, and I wrote these down. His, his color changed, his mind went into a tizzy, if you will. He went limp, and his knees knocked together. It's, it's kind of like a, a man who thinks he's ready to get married, who stands at the altar and who stands there and, and, and kind of thinks, is this really what I want to do with my life? But unlike that soon-to-be-married person, Belshazzar has no choice here. Belshazzar's demeaning of God and his holiness and those things he had set apart was not simply a drunken slob, but he is now showing himself to be a profane slob. God brought him to almost instant sobriety. He brought him in his bright mind, and he unglued what was happening. And to see those fingers riding across the wall, it's a reminder that God confronts rulers. God confronts rulers. And he tries to get a grip on things. He tries to lead and look in power. He calls out for his famous people, the astrologers, the diviners. Uh, you know, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll give you all this stuff. I mean, these were the cardinals of counsel. These were the PhDs of their day. These were the think tanks. These were the experts, whatever, who commanded the respect of everyone. These were the wise men of Babylon, but they could not understand what was written on that wall. And the same thing happened in chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar's dream came and Daniel came to speak on his behalf. But now for a third time, all the king's wise men are brought in and they all strike out. And his response is laughable. Again, I'm just reading from the text here. King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed and his nobles were perplexed. Everybody's in an uproar because Belshazzar is about ready to answer, to be confronted by God. Belshazzar has been confronted in his sin by a holy, omnipotent, omniscient, all, all, omnipresent God who is there. And that is what it is. And this is where we need to be reminded. I mean, where do we turn in such moments of times like this? We turn to religion. Or at least that's what Belshazzar did. He tried to turn to his gods and the people of his gods. He turned to his faith. He hollered for the conjurers. He hollered for the Chaldeans. He hollered for the astrologers to come in and interpret this. But they could do nothing for him. So these losers came trampezing in again and they fail again, again, and again. And friends, this is sometimes God's pattern. That as we as people, as we look at this election around our nation and we consider if this person wins or that person wins or this party or, or that party, we need to remind ourselves that people are looking for hope in this time. They are looking for hope in a time when God is showing them their sin. God has brought and is bringing judgment on America. I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet, but look around us. Christian churches are doing things that God got more upset at Belshazzar, uh, or got upset about Belshazzar in a little thing. Churches are doing even worse with the name of God. But what we need to remember is that this is sometimes God's pattern. He sometimes aggravates our helplessness by exposing the uselessness of the things and people in our lives that we think will save us, like Belshazzar thought his wise men would save us. And the human defiance here is pretty clear. God has frightened Belshazzar. Religion has failed him. He's reduced to a shivering, sniffling mess with no supporters whatsoever. His lords are in an uproar. He's therefore on the edge of the abyss. He's under God's judgment. God raises rulers. God uses rulers. God controls rulers. God examines rulers. But you better believe God also confronts rulers. And God does Belshazzar the favor of leaving him without any recourse. He is utterly helpless. 
And he has a huge opportunity. Whenever God brings someone, maybe you're watching this, and God brings someone to the end of their rope where you hit rock bottom and smashes all your idols, that is a good place to be. Because if you will see it as it is and you will accept the help of the Lord, then you'll be ready. So as a Christian, what does this mean for you in these days? I want you to know, Christian, that God takes his holiness seriously. That if someone in authority or power or whatever profanes the name of God, they will answer for that. If not in this life, then in the life to come. And you need to know that as well. So God raises rulers, he uses rulers, he controls rulers, he, he confronts rulers, he examines rulers, and number, I think we're on number seven now, he, God gives discernment. God gives discernment. Notice that here, starting in verse 10. And we've kind of gotten to this crisis moment. Belshazzar is in prosperity. He's, he's mocking God. There's now the handwriting on the wall. The magicians are summoned. They fail. And the turning point is, is that Daniel is remembered. Look at verse 10. And it's not Belshazzar who comes to this, this conclusion. Verse 10 tells us that the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. How quickly that word spread. There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods, and in, these day, in the days of your father, Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding, wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king, made him chief of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams and solve problems were found in this Daniel. So now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Friends, I want you to know that God gives discernment. God has brought Belshazzar to a point where he now sees, he now sees the need to finally come to the place where he is going to answer for what is ahead of him. Is he going to fear God or is he not going to fear God? And so hearing that loud cry, the queen comes throwing in. He does everything here. And then Daniel is finally brought before the Lord. You pick that up in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are the Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in. And, 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 but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. Verse 16, I'm skipping a little. But I've heard that you give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known, uh, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler. Look, sometimes, guys, God gives discernment. And even in his wickedness, even in his fallen wickedness, God gives discernment to leaders. And Christian, you ought to pray for that. 1 Timothy 2 tells us, as we briefly read last week, that, that we are to pray for all those in authority above us, rulers and kings and emperors. We are to pray for their wisdom, even if they're not Christian, because God can still bring them to repentance. In fact, that's what 1 Timothy 2 says, that, that all would be saved, that all would come to know him. And, and this is common grace. Even in a moment of utter helplessness, God still throws a lifeline out to Belshazzar. Now, we know the end result. We know that his fate is pretty much sealed. But God is giving Belshazzar an opportunity to hear once again about the majesty of God. And that's why you pray also during this season. No matter who leads us, 
In six or seven weeks, Christian, here in America, you need to be praying for your leaders. You need to pray for the gospel to be clear to them. You need to pray, even if they claim the name of Christ, whoever it is, local, state, federal, you need to pray that God would, one, if they're not a Christian, that they would be, or two, if they are, that by his spirit they have wisdom and discernment to lead their people in times such as this. That's what it's about. Because Christian, do you realize God is all-powerful? Amen, we know that. He can do anything. God can do anything He pleases. He's in the heaven and He does whatever He pleases is what Psalm says. But we also have to remember that the advancement or not the advancement of the gospel in our land and in other lands is sometimes contingent on the leaders allowing things to happen. You need to pray for wisdom for leaders to have, to give opportunity for the gospel. Look, the gospel can be preached whether it's allowed or, or it's legal or not legal, but you pray for wisdom. You pray for open doors for leaders that they have discernment. But God does give discernment and Belshazzar, here in a positive light with the help of his queen, actually sees that through. So God gives discernment. He also blesses rulers. I want you to see that here in verses 17 through 20. Daniel's response is not respectful, but it is direct. He basically says, well, let's read it together. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Daniel basically says this. He says, keep your stuff, give it to someone else. I don't need it. I don't want it. And he goes on. He says, and give your rewards to someone else. But, O king, nevertheless, I will read the writing to you and make known to you the interpretation. O king, verse 18, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. Friend, we need to see this, that this is a summary of faithful preaching. God blesses rulers. God, through Daniel, allowed him to be with King Nebuchadnezzar and now Belshazzar. And Daniel brings back this point. Belshazzar, your daddy, got it right. It took him a few years. It, it, he had to literally go insane. You can read about this in Daniel 3 and 4. He had to literally eat cow like, uh, grass like a cow. He literally had to come to the point. But at the end of chapter 4 of Daniel, it says he acknowledged God as God. He did not profane who he was. And he is called the Most High God. Verses 17, 21, 23, and so on and so forth. And the Most High God, Daniel says to Belshazzar, gave your father his kingdom your father was arrogant, your father was prideful, and God did this so he would know that he is the most high that rules over mankind and sets over it whom he will. Friend, God blesses people who rule, but with that comes humility. God blesses, God blesses them, he gives them blessing, but like us, they often forget it. It is okay to pray for whomever is in office that God would bless them, First, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Secondly, with whatever they're in need of to fulfill their duties. But thirdly, just a blessing to remind themselves that God put them in that position. Yes, people voted or a council made a recommendation, but they are blessed only so far as they acknowledge that God truly is the God of gods and Lord of lords. So God not only gives discernment here, he blesses, but notice starting in verse 21, through 28, God humbles rulers. God humbles rulers. Notice verse 21. And Daniel goes on. He says in verse 21, he says, 
Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among the children of men, and his dwelling was wild donkeys. He ate grass like an ox. And you, his son, verse 22, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought together. And he says, you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And he says, you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, and wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and in, 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 in whose all your ways, you have not honored, Belshazzar. Then, verse 24, from the presence of the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. And I'll stop right there for just a second. Belshazzar knew better. Belshazzar knew better. Friend, no leader can ever claim they do not know better. God has given them eternity, Ecclesiastes says, in their hearts. God humbles rulers. And there's a point where every ruler, I believe, in God's providence will have someone, somewhere, somehow, share the message of the gospel with them. We praise God. It's hard to believe it's been almost three years, two and a half years now, I believe, since Billy Graham passed away. I didn't agree with Billy Graham on everything. He wouldn't agree with me on everything. Okay, but we agree on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what mattered most. And one thing Billy Graham was known for is he went to every president during his tenure, and he shared the gospel with them. He didn't care about their political power. He didn't care about what that would, people would think of him. It was sharing the gospel. And here, Daniel says, you knew better, Belshazzar. You should know better. You are more responsible than your father. You have blasphemed and mocked him. You've taken the things of the Lord. You've turned it into a show. And now you are going to pay the price for it. He's been humbled. Therefore, the Most High God has exposed your sin. He's weighed your evil. He's weighed your actions. And you are found wanting. Christian, God will raise rulers. God will use rulers. He will control rulers. He will confront rulers. He will examine rulers. He will give discernment to rulers. He will bless rulers. But he will also humble rulers. And you need to see that. Christian, sometimes the court of God seems to move slower than the courts in America. And that's saying a lot. But you also need to know that these rulers will be humble. But you hang tight, Christian. You do not trust in chariots or horses or anything else. You trust in the name of the Lord your God. No matter what happens to the ruler and by extent all those to whom he or she leads, Christian, your hope is in the Lord. Yes, the humbling of a ruler of a nation can have drastic effects on that nation. But Christian, it also may serve to humble us as well. That we take our dependence off the government. We take our dependence off things of this world. And we depend on the Lord. Yes, let's be clear here. You have to eat. You have to work. Paul said if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. You know, you have to live life, guys. This isn't a pie-in-the-sky theology with no feet here on earth. You have to live life. You have to be a faithful servant. But ultimately, your trust is not in what is handed out. Your trust is in the ones whose hands were out and said, it is finished. That is the leader that gave us everything that we need for life and godliness. And his name is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, King of kings, Lord of lords, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. It is that king who is ultimately our ruler. 
And while we bow our knee here on this earth with all respect except when the Bible is taken out or, or, or commands of the Bible are, are not able to be fulfilled legally, we follow our, our rulers and we try to live peaceful and quiet lives. Sometimes when God humbles a ruler like he did here with Belshazzar, there is going to be fallout. And he says what it is. Look at verse 24. He tells us what it is. He says, then, Daniel 5, 24, from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing inscribed. And this was the writing that was inscribed, and it's written down, meeny, meeny, tekel, parson. And Daniel goes on to say, verse 26, this is the interpretation of the matter. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought you to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances, verse 27, and found wanting. And Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Friends, these four little inscriptions literally read, numbered, numbered, weighted, divided. And he says, you've been found wanting, Belshazzar. You're a lightweight. God is closing your kingdom. My measuring standard proves it, Daniel said. You challenge the Most High and you lose. You cross the line, Belshazzar, and the gig is up. God saw your sin just like he sees everyone's sin. And you may enjoy sin for a season, but payday king is coming soon. It's coming to all those, in fact, who refuse to submit, as Daniel said five times, to the Most High God. And Christian, this is a reminder for us. Philippians 2, 10 and 11, you know these words. There's coming a day, quote, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look, Christian, you need to know that God is going to humble rulers someday. God is humbling, God will humble, and God has humbled people that he raises up. But it doesn't mean you can't live underneath them. It doesn't mean you can't be in the same country. Friend, this world is never going to have a perfect political system. God may be calling you here to America, Christian, during this time, for such a time for you to be the, the bold missionary you're supposed to be, the ambassador that we're supposed to be for him. In the humbling of a nation, in the humbling of a ruler, it's a reminder to God's people where our trust lies. And I asked this last week, but are you in more angst over who's going to be president next? Or are you in more awe about who is already your king? Please let me be clear. This is not an anarchist message. This isn't a, you know, go and don't obey the law sort of thing. Let me be clear again. And in the coming weeks, again, we're at the 50,000 foot view. We're coming down to 40,000 foot all this is practical, but we're going to get to those questions in later weeks. You know, what about, should I vote? Should I do the, you know, we'll get those. We'll try to answer those. But you need to see here in this story, you need to see that God has called us to follow the leaders so long as those leaders are following what the Bible says. When they cross that line, we are okay biblically to say, you know what? I must honor God, as Peter and John said, Acts 4, I must honor God rather than men. And so it is. And finally this, and let me go through this list from last week until now as we close. God raises rulers. God controls rulers. God uses rulers. God examines rulers. God confronts rulers. God blesses rulers. God gives discernment to rulers. God humbles rulers. And finally here in verses 29 to 31, God judges rulers. It is interesting If you were to go back and read Daniel 2, 3, and 4, that each of those chapters ends with some type of confession, some type of repentance, some type of, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, you know. But there's none of that here in chapter 5. 
As we get to the end of Belshazzar, it's like the lights have been turned out. The, the party's over. The band has gone home. And, and, and they don't need to come back ever because the Most High God, he's taking Belshazzar out and setting up a new monarch named Cyrus, here identified as Darius the Mede. Belshazzar shows no signs of repentance for his arrogance, his blasphemies, his idolatries, his pride, his sensualities. And like wicked King Herod, who murdered John the Baptist, it says in Mark 6, 26, that, that, that King Herod was exceedingly sorrow because of his oaths. But to save face, he had to keep his word. And how often it is that our words come back to bite us. Look at verse 29. It says, Then Belshazzar gave command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, this is really funny, because once again, God has honored his faithful servant Daniel in the midst of a pagan world. Daniel had been sent to the retirement home by men of power, saying, Daniel, you're too old. He was in his 80s by this point. But after, his son, after Belshazzar, there, were, there was no more powerful person than, than, than Daniel and one other person after Belshazzar's son. And Daniel's empire would be very short-lived. In fact, it was like getting a promotion the day before the company goes bankrupt. It's like getting a medal even though you've lost the war. It lasted only a night. And Darius, the next king, the Persian king coming in chapter 6 verse 3, would recognize the value of Daniel in his days. But in verse 30, I want you to see this. You need to see what happens as God judges rulers that very night. Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. That very night, everything that God said on the writing on the wall through the interpretation of Daniel, God is bringing to judgment. You know, it's one of these things that, that, that I think that Belshazzar had a false sense of security. History tells us that the walls of the kingdom were 40 foot high and 25 feet thick. We think that's a little exaggerated, but one thing we know is this is that by history, there was a, the Euphrates, Euphrates River went straight through the, the capital city where, where Belshazzar was, and, and the incoming army had basically drained the water out so they could just walk across kind of a swampy area right up to the, the city and take it over. And so with the waters level lower, they waded through the walls and entered the city. And as a matter of fact, that became a, a festival the Persians celebrated to, to, to choose to attack Babylon on that particular night because it was a special night. But friends, Belshazzar was judged. He was judged. God had raised him. God had used him. God had controlled him. God had examined him. God had, uh, God had also given him discernment. God had given him uh, clarity in, in many things and blessing. God had done all these things, but now God judged him. That very night, God's judgment came through. So friends, we need to remember what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 29, 1. He who, he who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Look, God's prophets had already laid out that Babylon's destiny uh, would be, would be short-lived. We know that from Isaiah 21, Jeremiah 15 and 51. This was coming, yet Belshazzar did nothing about it. And friend, we need to see that from the beginning of a calling of a ruler to the end where they are judged, God is sovereign over them. He 
He judges their judges. He rules their rulers. His story, history is his story. He is the sovereign God. And as you look around this nation, as you look around this world, Christian, I want to call you to some action points here. And I want to just get to these because I think they're so important. You should have humility. If you know Jesus, we should be the most humble people in a time like this. There's no difference between us and all the sons and daughters of Adam. We were once lost. We were once blinded by our sin. We were once those who, it was said, there's nothing good in us. And we are equally corrupt. And as we look around, we need to remember that these times, any time that the nation is in turmoil, should humble God's people to pray, to share the gospel, to love one each other and, and one another well, to go back and look at our, our Bibles and say, you know what, there's some things in here, Lord, you've told me to do. You've prompted me by your spirit, but I've not yet done. You need to do that in times such as these. Friends, but these times should also be as crazy as they may seem to you in the coming days, an encouragement. We should be encouraged that God remains in control of history. Can I say it again? History is his story. Even in the darkest days when things seem to be going contrary to everything Christ calls us to do, let us remember that God is on his throne and he is working out, as Romans 8.28 says, through unsaved rulers, through rulers who don't want anything to do with him, through the Belshazzars of our day. So let us have faith. Let us relax in the sense that we are in bigger hands than anything else this world could bring. So it should be humbling. It should be encouraging. It should give us, number three, faith in God. We should look to God. We're not focused on the White House or who's not in the White House or who is in the White House. We, Christian, should have our greatest gaze on Jesus Christ, the one who's above that White House, the one who's above all these things. And can I say it again? If you're just joining us or watching this or listening to this, this is not us calling for anything other than for Christians to place their faith, their ultimate trust in the Word of God. That's what it's about. And that's what it's about. The more we look at our rulers, the more downcast we become and the more whiny we get. Let us know that God is working. He has a plan. He has a purpose. So we should be humble. We should be encouraged. We should have faith in God. Finally, let us praise God. Psalm 96 verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised above all gods. Friends, our great God deserves our great praise, doesn't he? You should pray for our president. You should pray for our vice president, our senators, our reps, our Supreme Court. That God will humble them to the point they only say he is sovereign over the realm of mankind like Nebuchadnezzar did. You should pray for their soul and for the good of our nation. You should, for the good of God's people who live in that nation, that, that we must be a nation that comes back to the place of acknowledging the supreme, sovereign, ruling hand of God to rule this country. What needs to happen in the White House, though, church, is what first needs to happen in the church house. Church, and I'm talking especially to Tower View members here, the church of Jesus Christ that God has called you here to in this fellowship must acknowledge and bow the knee to the towering truth of the sovereignty of God over the affairs of the universe. We, we must get back to the sovereignty of God, His providence, that He rules the affairs of nations, that there is salvation, but there's also judgment as well. The church needs to be brought to its knees. Only then can we truly see God for who he is. 
Friends, we become a proud nation, a self-centered one. We become so drunk on our own power and abilities that we have no need for God. But we must come back to the place where it is God we truly trust. Not any God like Belshazzar, but the one God of the Bible who sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died the death we couldn't die, who took the wrath, who was buried, who rose again, who ascended and is coming back again. But church, before that can happen, the church of Christ, all Christians everywhere, must come to believe what the Bible says. That God has established in the thrones, in the heavens, and rules over them all. We must raise up young men and young women, a generation who fear God more than fear men. We must encourage older generations in that truth. Because God is in control. Do you feel small today? Because I do. And I hope so. Does God seem bigger and bigger today? I pray that He does because as He gets bigger and as He gets stronger in your life, things of this world, important as they are, and and as we live through them together, seem to fade away. Not that we're disengaged, not that we're out of sync or out of touch, but we really put it in perspective. Do you believe in a God that raises rulers, uses rulers, controls rulers, confronts rulers, examines rulers, gives discernment to rulers, blesses rulers, humbles rulers, and judges rulers. If you do, you're going to be okay. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for our day. And Father, as we record this, as we go through this time, Father, even today in our nation, there's much turmoil. But Father, you're not shaking your knees. Your color hasn't changed like Belshazzar. Father, you're not trying to figure out the next step. You are the sovereign God. Father, may this 50,000, 40,000 foot view the reminders of what you are and who you are and what you are doing and what you will do. Bring joy to our hearts. Father, may it humble us, may it encourage us, may it give greater faith in you, may it give greater praise to you. Father, we love you. We pray all this today in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much. Again, my name is Darren Smith. We're at Tower View Baptist Church, towerviewkc.com. We invite you to our church anytime. We are here physically in drive-in service and in-person service, also online. We know these are unique days. We can pray for you. If we can do anything to assist you, we'd love to do so. Guys, we love you so much. God bless. Have a great day, especially if you're not a Christian today. God loves you. He sent forth his son to die for you. Message us, text us, find us on the website. Be more than happy to share that message with you. God bless.